Well, good morning, everyone. If we could please ooh, head back to your seats, please. It's great to be with you all again on this somewhat chilly Sunday. It was pretty chilly when we came in this building this morning. It feels a little better now, but uh, so glad you could join with us today, be a part of our service. If you happen to be new, whether you're visiting with us in person or online, uh, my name's Don. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace, and we are beginning a new series today. We've just kind of come out of Daniel, and when we went through Daniel, we, we kind of just looked at the greatness of the sovereign God and his power and sovereignty over kingdoms and nations and all of history. And so we're going to sort of transition from there into the new series, which we're calling Known, and talk about how this great, powerful, sovereign God is also very personal to us. And so we're going to be using, as we go through this next three weeks, Psalm 139 as a basis to kind of talk about just how personal God is. And so we're going to start today with uh, Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6. And the title of the message today is, The God Who Knows You. Well, I don't know about you, but as I would look back over my life, uh, I would be aware of a small number of occasions that I would describe as defining moments in my life. I mean, defining moments, they're, they're brief moments that significantly shape or alter the direction or focus of your life from that point forward. And one such defining moment took place in my life in January of 1985. Give you a little bit of context as to what was going on. It was about one week after I had uh, prayed to receive Jesus Christ into my life as my Lord and Savior. And not much of anything had happened in, in the week since then. Um, and probably the main thing going on in my life at that time is I was really wrestling with a drug problem. Um, I had used drugs regularly for about 12 years prior to that time, mainly marijuana, but other drugs as well. Um, and about two years before January of 1985, as I began to think about this, I thought, well, maybe this isn't the best for my health. And so maybe I should just stop this. And I would never have thought in all those years that I had a drug problem until I tried to stop. And then I realized that this drug issue had a hold on my life and it controlled and ruled me. And I know people say marijuana isn't addicted, but it had a powerful hold on me. And so for the two years prior to this, I had been trying with all of my strength and power to kind of beat this drug issue. And uh, it just was far bigger than I was in its strength. I mean, I felt like kind of Don Knotts or Barney Fife, if you know who they are, and from Andy Griffith, kind of in the boxing ring with Muhammad Ali. You know, I just, I just, was no match. And so as we come to January of 1985, I was just, had just tried one of my many times over those two years of trying to break this, 
quit in a few weeks and then slowly drifting back into those same old habits. And so on January 20th of 1985, I remember because it was Super Bowl Sunday that year, and I thought I was going to get, I had a little bit of marijuana, I thought I was going to get high, sit down and watch the game, and so I did that. And long about the end of the first quarter of the game, and I'll pick up by reading an excerpt from my journal that I wrote during that time where I kind of described all that was going on in my life during that time. So as I was sitting there watching the game, something happened. The best way that I can describe it is that there was suddenly another presence there with me. <clears throat> I didn't see or hear anything audible, and it seemed like my awareness of this presence was inside of me or inside my head somehow. Although I did not see or hear anything on the outside, I could feel the power of this presence as one feels the heat of a blast furnace when your back is to it. Even though you don't see it, you experience the heat radiating out from it, and you know that it's hot. And it was the same way with this presence, except it wasn't heat. It was power that I experienced this sense of. And this presence spoke to my mind and asked very clearly, are you serious about God? Although you might think that this experience would have caused me to jump to attention, this wasn't exactly the case. My interest in the game and my high condition caused me to not really want to be bothered by anything deep at the time. And my response to the question was in my mind, I said, yeah, sure, sure, I'm serious. Which was really more of a statement of playing that question off. And then I did get shocked because this presence saw through to my inmost parts, recognized my deception, and surfaced response and said, no, are you serious? And I was shocked that anybody or anything could see my inmost thoughts as I know it had done, and I also knew that I had to give some serious attention to this question. So for the next hour or so, I forgot all about the game, and pondered my response to that question. I knew that my answer had to reflect what was truly in my heart. And during this time, Margaret, who was my wife, she was around then, uh, could tell that something was wrong, and she asked me, are you okay, a couple times? I wasn't able to really explain at the time, and in contemplating my answer, I knew that what was being asked of me was whether I was willing to turn my life over to God and give it to him. See, it had been easy for me to say a prayer and to want the benefits of having God guide my life and help me with my problems, but now I was face to face with the costs of that choice. Was I willing to give control of my entire life to God and commit it to his control? So after about an hour of soul searching to find out if I was willing to pay that price, I came to a decision. Yes, I wanted this. I wasn't sure how I would ever be able to live up to it, but I knew that I wanted God, so I told him, yes, I want this. Upon my decision and statement, and the statement was not made out loud, but it was in my thoughts, I was told, then you will no longer do this. And I knew the reference was to drugs, and with that, it was gone. 
So I'll summarize the end of that story. So I went to bed that night, got up the next morning. First thing I did was say, did that really happen? Um, I thought back through and said, no, I wasn't that high. Um, And I knew that I had really had that experience. And so I remember thinking, well, I guess if I meant what I said, I'll try one more time to kind of beat this drug thing. And so uh, I didn't have a lot of hope and confidence that I would be able to do that, but I kind of gathered everything that I had that was drug-related. I went in the bathroom, and I was standing over the toilet, and I was really, there was this war going on in my mind of all the reasons why I didn't want to do this. And, but finally I said, no, if I meant what I said, I'll at least try. And so I, I dropped everything in the toilet and flushed, pulled the flush handle, and the moment that I pulled that handle that drug problem was just gone from my life. It was like I'd never used drugs ever. (laughs) Um, And since since that day, I just haven't had the slightest interest or desire in drugs at all. Now, that moment on January 20th, 1985, would alter and shape the future direction of my life. It would set me on a pathway that would ultimately lead to me serving here as a pastor at Grace Community Church. Now, go figure that. Because in 1985, there couldn't have been anything further from the radar of my plan and agenda for my life than this. But that moment was a defining moment in my life. And I know that subjective experiences are exactly that. They're subjective. And you can decide for yourself what you think about that story. But I know for me, I could not be more convinced in my own mind that in that moment, I had an encounter with the living God. The God who could look inside my mind and my heart and see my thoughts and motives as clearly as if they were written in a book. And that's the God that David describes in our text for today in Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6. So let's read those verses together. David says, O Lord... You have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So in these verses, David gives us a picture of the God who sees and knows all things. The God who knew David and everything about him intimately and perfectly. And that's the God that David knew. That's the God whose care he trusted and rested in throughout his life. The God who knows all things, whether about us or anything else, perfectly and completely. 
And so if we sit here today as one of those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, those who know their sins have been forgiven, those whom God has made one of his own precious children, the reality of this all-knowing God should be a great blessing and comfort to us just as it was for David. And so really the big idea for the message today is this. Because God knows all things, we can rest in his wise care. I think that's what God wants us to see through this passage. Because God knows all things, we can rest in his wise care. So this morning, I want to consider two things that we can draw from these verses to help us understand what it means that God knows all things and why that reality should be a comfort and a blessing to us as his people. So before we dig into that, why don't we take a moment and pray. Lord, our desire this morning is to encounter you and to see you for who you are and who you are to us as your people. So Lord, this is your word. I pray that you would use these verses and this time to grant revelation to us about the greatness of your glory and who you are and the wonder of your love and grace to us as your people. So, Lord, fill us today with your spirit that we might be discerning and have eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, help me to be able to speak and communicate the things that you want communicated plainly and concisely and clearly. Lord, I pray that this time would, first of all, bring glory to you, but also be a blessing to each one here today, I pray. And I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. So first thing we want to look at from this passage is just that God is perfect in his knowledge of us and all things. You know, one thing the Bible makes perfectly clear is that God is not like us. And not only is God not like us, but he is unlike anything else in all of creation. In the book of Exodus, in chapter 20, verse 4, when God is giving the Israelites the Ten Commandments, he begins with these words. He says, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water that is under the earth. God says, you don't, don't try to make any image of me from anything in heaven, on earth, or in the ocean. He said, don't do it because there is nothing you can make in the, that would represent me accurately in this creation. To think of God as similar to anything in this created universe is to terribly misrepresent him and dishonor him. It results in our thinking of him as something much less than he really is. See, God is infinitely greater than us or anything in this. Is my mic going out? No? no? Sounded like it to me. 
So God is infinitely greater than us or anything in this created universe. And one of the ways that God is not like us or any other created being is that he is perfect in his knowledge of all things. The Apostle John in 1 John chapter 3, when he's uh, talking to the believers about uh, our tendency to kind of have doubts and lack assurance in our salvation because we can look at all the ways we fall short, and all the things we do wrong. He says this in 1 John 3.20. He says, For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart, and he knows everything. David in Psalm 147.5 says, Great is our Lord and abundant in power. His understanding is beyond measure. Beyond measure. It, it literally means it's infinite. It's without limits. And so in this passage in Psalm 139, we can see David's wonder and amazement as he reflects on God as the God who knows him and knows all things perfectly. We look at verse 6. He says, such knowledge, it's too wonderful for me. It's high. I cannot attain it. David says, no matter how much I try to think about this, it's just more than I can grasp. So what does the Bible mean when it speaks of God knowing all things perfectly? Well, this quality of God where he knows all things perfectly is called God's omniscience, a big word meaning exactly that. He knows all things perfectly. Wayne Grudem defines it this way in his book, Bible Doctrine. He says, God fully knows himself and all things actual and possible in one simple and eternal act. Now, that's a short statement, but it is packed with massive truth. So let's see if we can unpack it a little bit. So Mr. Grudem tells us in that statement that God knows everything that exists and everything that happens perfectly. He knows every minute detail that could be known about everything. He knows everything that happens in all creation. Job 28, 24, it says, For he looks to the ends of the earth and sees everything under the heavens. He sees everything that is visible in perfect knowledge, and he also sees perfectly that which is not visible. He knows everything about every creature that exists, including you. We see this in verses 1 through 3 of Psalm 139. Let's revisit them for a moment. David says, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. See, God knows our bodies and everything about them inside and out. He knows exactly what's going on with our health. He knows our thoughts. He knows our deepest desires. He knows the deepest motives of our hearts. He knows what we do and say and why we do it. I mean, that was 
the experience that I had in January of 1985. God not only looked inside of me and saw what I was thinking, but he saw underneath of that and saw the very motives that were going on that were leading me to think those thoughts. You see, there is nothing about us inside or out that God doesn't know and understand perfectly. The writer in Hebrews, in Hebrews 4.13, says it this way. He says, And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare before him with whom we have to do. But not only does God know everything that exists now perfectly, God also knows the future perfectly. We see that in verses 3 and 4 in Psalm 139. It says, You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. David says God searches out his path. God knows where he's going before he ever gets there. He searches out his lying down. God knows where he's going to lie down before that ever takes place. Even before a word David speaks, God knows what he's going to say before it ever happens. You know, if you were a prophet in the Old Testament, being an old being a prophet in the Old Testament was really ris a pretty risky business. And the reason was is because if you claim to be a prophet of the living God, this God, then your accuracy rate had to be 100% about anything that you predicted was going to happen. I mean, it wasn't the kind of thing where if you, if you missed one, you said, well, I guess I just got that one wrong. I'll, I'll try. I'll do better next time. No, no, it didn't work that way. If you missed something, you were killed. The law said that you were to be stoned if you claimed to be a prophet of this God and something you predicted didn't come true. See, knowing the future correctly was the test of a true prophet of God because knowing the future perfectly is what identifies the true God. I mean, this is what separates the God of the Bible from all other gods. In Isaiah 41, in verses 21 through 23, God is challenging the gods and the idols from all the nations that Israel is surrounded by. And he says this to them in that challenge. He says, set forth your case, says the Lord. Bring your proofs, says the God of Jacob, says the king of Jacob. Let them bring them and tell us what is to happen. Tell us the former things, what they are, that we may consider them, that we may know their outcome or declare to us the things to come. Tell us what is to come hereafter, that we may know that you are gods. Do good or do harm, that we may be dismayed and terrified. But there was no other God who could rise to that challenge because only God knows the future with absolute certainty. He says it in Isaiah 46, 9 and 10. 
God says, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. God's the only one who knows the end from the beginning who from ancient times knows things that have not yet taken place. And everything that he purposes will be perfectly fulfilled. See, God knows every detail about the future with the same perfect knowledge he has about the things that exist now. So God knows all things, past, present, and future, with perfect knowledge. And if that's not enough to put your mind on tilt a little bit, let's just consider one more thing about God's perfect knowledge of all things. See, God not only knows all things past, present, and future, but he also knows all things that could be or that could have been possible with the same perfect knowledge. In Matthew 11, verses 21 through 23, Jesus is chastising some of the cities in Israel because of their unbelief in spite of the many great miracles he did in their midst. And he says this to him. He says, Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for Tyre and Sidon than you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades, for if the mighty works done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. Now Jesus, isn't, he's not just using hyperbole here. What he's doing is he's literally saying that if something different had happened in the past, there would have been a different outcome that he's aware of in the future. I mean, just think for a moment how just one thing happening differently in this world might have changed the shape of history. I mean, suppose Adam had intervened and kept Eve from biting into that apple. I mean, suppose the American colonists had decided not to declare their independence from England. Suppose Germany had won the Second World War. Suppose the Cuban Missile Crisis had led to a nuclear disaster. I mean, these are just a few of the big events in history. But even the slightest change in the smallest thing can completely alter how things work out in this world. And God knows with perfect knowledge every possible variation in every detail of how any change would have shaped this universe. He knows every possible variation that could occur in this universe that he created. And if that's not amazing enough for you, Beyond that, he knows with that same perfect knowledge 
the infinite number of other universes he could have created but didn't. I mean, are you beginning to see why David says in verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me? It's, it's high. I can't attain it. So God is certainly not like us. And God's knowledge of things, it's not like our knowledge. He doesn't count the stars or the sand on the seashore like some supercomputer. He always knows all things at once. He knows all things, Grudem says, in one simple eternal act. God is fully aware of everything all the time. His attention doesn't shift between things. And that means that he is always focused on you, giving you his full, complete attention 100% of the time. See, God's not like shifting his, like trying to wrestle with keeping track of all six billion human beings and shifting his attention from you to all these other people. That's not the way it is. He is 100% fully attentive to every one of those six billion human beings all the time. I think David kind of captures this idea a little bit later on in the psalm in verses 17 and 18. He says this, he says, How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. You know, I, I love going to the beach for vacation. You know, I, the beach is my favorite vacation place to go. Uh, a few weeks ago, Margaret and I had a chance to spend a few days on the beach in Florida near Fort Lauderdale. And as I was thinking about this verse, I, I was thinking, you know, there's, there's about 400 miles of beach on the Atlantic coast of Florida. And that's just the Atlantic coast. And as I was thinking about this, I said, how, how many grains of sand do you think there are in those 400 miles of beach? And that's just the Atlantic coast of Florida. David says here that God's thoughts towards you, they're, they're more than the sand. That's how much God is thinking about you and his focus is on you and his attention is on you. That's how much he's thinking about you all the time. He isn't distracted by other things. He doesn't have to think things through. He never forgets or loses any of the details. He is fully attentive to you every second of every day. I mean, how comforting that should be to us as Christians. I mean, the God who loves you with a perfect love, who gave his only son that you could belong to him, who sent his son to suffer and die on a cross in your place, taking your sins upon himself to purchase your forgiveness. 
so that by trusting in him as your Lord and Savior, you could have peace with this God and come into his family as one of his children. The God who loves you just as he loves his own son, Jesus, he is perfectly aware of everything that's going on in your life. He knows you and cares deeply about you. He is always thinking about you. Jesus says it this way in Matthew 10, 29 through 31. He says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. Jesus says that even the hairs on your head, God knows every detail about every one of them. He knows exactly how many there are. J.I. Packer kind of sums this idea up in this quote. He says this, he said, What matters supremely, therefore, is not in the last analysis the fact that I know God, but the larger fact which underlies it, the fact that he knows me. I am graven on the palms of his hands. I am never out of his mind. All my knowledge of him depends on his sustained initiative in knowing me. I know him because he first knew me and continues to know me. He knows me as a friend, one who loves me, and there is no moment when his eye is off me or his attention distracted from me, and no moment, therefore, when his care falters. See, he knows you. He knows everything you're going through. He knows your desires, what you long for. Psalm 38, 9, the psalmist says, Lord, all my desire is before you, and my sighing is not hidden from you. He knows your concerns about loved ones or family members in your life. He knows what you worry about, what your fears are. He knows your hurts, your pains. He knows your every need in the tiniest details of your life. I mean, he knows you so well that even when you don't know what or how to pray in his care for you through the Spirit, he steps in to pray for you. Paul tells us exactly that in Romans 8, 26. It says, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. See, God's perfect knowledge of all things assures you that in every situation and circumstance, he has not forgotten you. He's not unaware of what's going on in your heart and life. He's not neglected you or forsaken you, even though you might be tempted to think so at times. God knows what's going on in your life down to the smallest detail. And he not only knows, but he cares far more than you could ever think or imagine. 
That brings me to the second point I want to draw our attention to this morning in this text. See, God is not only perfect in his knowledge of all things, but secondly, God is perfect in his wisdom. See, because God knows all things perfectly, his decisions and choices are always perfectly wise. Again, Wayne Grudem is helpful to us in understanding God's wisdom. He says it this way. He said, God always chooses the best goals and best means to those goals. See, God's choices and decisions will always bring about the best results possible because in making them, he has perfect knowledge of all things that are and all things that could be. Our decisions, they're not like that. You know, I can still remember the sting of back in July of 2000 when, as I looked around at what was going on in the world, the dot-com bubble was raging and everybody was making money in the stock market, hands over fist. And so after watching this for a while, finally I said, you know, I'm a fool not to kind of get in on this. So in July, I kind of took uh, most of the money that was in my fixed income kind of pension account with where I was working and moved it into a stock fund account to take advantage of that. Well, two weeks later, the bottom fell out of the dot-com bubble and within a couple months, I had lost about half the money that I had put in there. And I can remember thinking at times, you know, if only I had known what was going to happen, I wouldn't have made such a poor decision. But see, God's decisions, they're never like that. Because God always knows, and because God knows everything that is and everything that could be, God always uses the best possible means to accomplish his purposes. But the reality is God's wisdom, it's, it's often beyond our ability to know or scrutinize. Paul says that in Romans eleven thirty three. He says, oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. You see, we often don't understand God's wisdom or what he's doing in our lives. And when I think about that, uh, one of the pictures that I find helpful to me is what I kind of call the ant on the tapestry. And uh, what I mean by that is this. We can pull up that slide. I mean, imagine that your life is a tapestry um, that's the size of a wall. So it's this beautiful picture of what your life story is all about. And God sees that whole picture. But you and me, we're like an ant crawling across that tapestry. We we can't see the whole picture. We, We can barely make out little pieces of it. And sometimes as we crawl across that tapestry of as we move through the days of our life, sometimes there's only one color that we can see. And sometimes the only color we can see is black. And everything seems really dark. 
And that's the way the whole life, our whole life seems to be. And we don't understand. But God, he sees where the dark fits in to make up part of the whole picture. And God sees the whole tapestry of what your life is like in a way that you never can. And so while we can't see the big picture of our life as God sees it, because God is perfect in his wisdom, we can be confident that he's always working wisely in our lives. That he's working in the best ways to bring about the best results possible. I mean, this is really the basis of that promise that Christians love to hold on to and memorize. Romans 8.28 says, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That's because God is perfectly wise in how he deals with our lives. So we can know that the God who knows all things is working every minute of every day in perfect wisdom for our highest good in good circumstances and in bad, in prosperity and in trial. He is always for us, never against us. And even in the midst of suffering, we can trust that God is faithful in working in our lives with perfect wisdom for our ultimate good. And because God knows all things, he never makes a mistake. He's never caught by surprise by your circumstances or what you may or may not do. He's always working in our lives with perfect wisdom. His plan for your life is the very best possible. You know, I think David understood this. You know, if you're familiar with David's life, David, he had a lot of ups and downs in his life. I mean, we kind of know about him as the great man after God's own heart, the king, uh, the forerunner of Jesus. But life wasn't always good and easy and pleasant for David. When Samuel came and anointed him at about 16 years of age to be the next king of Israel, David would spend the next 11 years of his life running for his life from Saul and nearly being killed on numerous occasions, living in caves and hiding uh, with no home, no, no place that he could kind of settle down. And David, you know, he, he had his own faults and failures. I mean, he, there were things that he fouled up in life really badly. I mean, most people are aware of his adultery with Bathsheba, and then he committed murder, having her husband killed to cover it up. I mean, that, but that wasn't the only thing that David did in his life that just was, was wrong and where he failed. So David understood what it meant to fall short and the failures that, of his choices. And he understood the reality of grief and loss. He lost a son that he dearly loved. And he understood what that felt like. And yet, through all of those challenging and difficult things that he went through, he says this in verse 5 
of Psalm 139. He says, you hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. In other words, the picture here is of of God hemming him in. God's protecting his life. God's going before him and protecting him from whatever may be ahead. And God's going behind him and protecting him from anything that may come up on him from behind. God's just encircling his life with his care. And he says, you lay your hand on me. God's hand David knew God's hand was on him and was guiding and leading him through all of those challenges and difficulties. And so in this passage of scripture, we see David's reflection on his life. We see his confidence in God's perfect knowledge of all things. We see his confidence in God's perfect wisdom in guiding and ordering his life. We see that David was a man who understood that because God knows all things, we can rest in his wise care. If I could have the band come and join me, the worship team. So here's what I want to ask you. Where are you struggling to rest in God's wise care in your life? I mean, where are you tempted to think that he's forgotten you? Or that he doesn't seem to care? I mean, what things are you worried or anxious about? Maybe it's family members who aren't saved. Maybe it's sickness or some sort of disease that you're wrestling with. Maybe it's some difficult problem at work or in your marriage or family. Maybe it's just a season of sadness or loneliness you're going through. I mean, perhaps you may find yourself struggling with projecting some negative future that you who are not God have no power to know. But you're living in the fear and anxiety of what might happen. See, whatever you may be going through in your life, God wants you to know that he knows. He knows you. He knows your heart's desires, your fears, your longings. He knows your struggles. He knows every detail of the situation now and in the future. And he is not uncaring about your situation. You have his full attention. And his perfect wisdom is at work in your life. His promise to work all things together for your good has not fallen to the ground. He invites you to bring your concerns and burdens and give them to him. Because he's the God who knows all things past, present, and future. He's the God who is perfect in his wisdom. David knew, and God wants us to know as well, that because God knows all things, we can rest in his wise care.
So let's stand together and sing just proclaiming and reminding ourselves of who this God is.